my name is Charles Goldfarb, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alexander Aline, for the AOA podcast, Lessons in Orthopedic Leadership. We are going to talk about bone health in sports medicine, and we have three experts joining us, and we look forward to introducing each of the experts in just one minute. Briefly, the American Orthopedic Association's Own the Bone program is a national post-fracture, systems-based, multidisciplinary fragility fracture prevention initiative. The program was launched in 2009 to address the emerging epidemic of osteoporosis-related fragility fractures. Own the Bone enables hospitals and practices to help evaluate and treat patients using a bone health or fracture liaison service. Visit ownthebone.org for information on the AOA's Own the Bone program and resources. So I would like to jump in and introduce our first guest, which is Tammy Sherpella. Tammy graduated from the University of Iowa and completed a residency at the University of Wisconsin Hospital and Clinics in Madison. She continued her training with a fellowship at Union Memorial Hospital in Baltimore. Tammy is a former collegiate gymnast who sustained an ACL tear and therefore understands the difficulty of recovering from sports-related injuries. She's now team physician for the University of Wisconsin Badger women's hockey and softball teams, has more than 25 years of experience treating similar injuries in these elite athletes and in all athletes uh, of different ages and abilities. As senior vice chair of the department, Dr. Chappella oversees the educational research and clinical missions of the vibrant, experienced and nationally recognized orthopedic surgery faculty. Welcome. Our next guest is Dr. Chris Morganti. She began her private practice career in September of 1999 after earning a sports medicine fellowship from Johns Hopkins Hospital, go Blue Jays, in Baltimore in July. Uh, her medical school and internship was completed at State University of New York Health Science Center at Syracuse. After a year of research at Tufts University in Boston, Dr. Morganti completed her residency in orthopedic surgery at SUNY. During residency, she studied strength training and aging and its effects on bone density, muscles, and balance. She's a decorated runner. She provided physician coverage for the senior games track and field events in New York in 1995. She herself is a gold medalist, having won the 5,000 meter at the Empire State Games in 1992, and also silver medalist for the 5,000 meters two years later. She's also team doctor for the U.S. Olympic Trials Marathon. Welcome, Dr. Morganti. Finally, Andrea Spiker is an assistant professor of orthopedic surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where she specializes in sports medicine and hip preservation. She is team physician for the University of Wisconsin's Badger Athletics and provides orthopedic coverage for UW women's basketball, men's and women's soccer teams. Her clinical interests are in the non-operative and operative treatment of all sports and athletic injuries of the hip and knee with additional expertise in hip arthroscopy, surgical hip dislocation, and periacetabular osteotomy. Dr. Spiker received her undergraduate degree from Wellesley College in Massachusetts, and prior to entering medical school, worked as a speechwriter for the National Science Foundation in Washington, D.C., and was a Fulbright Scholar in Berlin, Germany. She then received her medical degree from Georgetown University School of Medicine and completed her orthopedic surgery residency at the Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. She completed two fellowships at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York, the first in sports medicine and shoulder surgery, and the second in hip preservation during which time she was a fellow team physician for the New York Mets, the New York Rangers, the New York Liberty, and St. John's University Women's Soccer, which is an outstanding Division I program. 
perhaps most germane and important to this conversation, she is a member of the Own the Bone subcommittee of the AOA. So thank you all and welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. So thank you all for, for being here. I think when we think about the Own the Bone program and even in uh, the promotion that we, that we kind of brought out about, it, it's really thought of as geriatric fractures uh, and preventing geriatric fractures and how do we um, make sure that as orthopedic surgeons, we're kind of the stewards for that. And I don't think a lot of us think about this, how it applies to sports medicine. It's a generally younger population tends to be more fit. So you would think maybe osteoporosis would not be as much of an issue. Um, Andre, maybe um, since you are on the Own the Bone subcommittee, why is this something that you feel like the Own the Bone program should start focusing on? Thanks, Alexander. Yeah, I think you bring up an excellent point that really we don't often think about bone health or osteoporosis when we think about sports medicine. Uh, and in large part, it is because we do take care of a generally younger population. But I think that it's really important to introduce this to the sports medicine community and um, not only to surgeons who are uh, sports medicine surgeons, but also patients um, who are involved in athletics throughout their lifetime for a number of reasons. You know, first of all, I think we all know that we're living longer, people are maintaining their levels of activity for longer and longer, and they may become susceptible as older athletic individuals to some of these fractures that we may not even think about. The other reason is that uh, we as sports medicine surgeons really touch patients' lives through all time points. Um, we see young adolescent patients, we meet their parents who are in their 40s and 50s, um, and then we treat older athletic individuals as well. And then the third important reason, I think, and we'll touch on this more with the expertise of Dr. Chappella and Dr. Morganti, um, is that bone health really is developed in the younger individual. And so we as sports medicine surgeons treating these patients, I think, really have the task and um, the challenge to educate our athletes when we meet them at a very young age on how to appropriately develop and then maintain bone health throughout their lifetime. Thank you. That's probably a great segue, Tammy, if you want to take that a little bit and run. So tell us how you think about and educate your younger athletes about bone mass and peak bone mass. And what are your pearls that you share with those athletes? Sure, that's a great question. I think that our young athletes often uh, consider themselves invincible, consider themselves very healthy, fit, um, obviously, until they're injured. Um, and of course, stress fractures are one of those injuries. So we interface with the youth uh, athlete or even um, young woman collegiate athlete, often over a stress fracture uh, as their first sort of bone injury. And that group of people often have predisposing factors. So I always start by talking about and talking through the potential for those predisposing factors with my athletes. And uh, what used to be called the female athlete triad is now termed the red S syndrome, um, really just to focus the concentration toward the loss of energy that leads to stress fracture. So you can think of energy as nutrition in and energy output. And then there's a hormonal influence uh, for the young athlete as well that can lead to an imbalance that causes a person to acquire a stress fracture. So I talk through all of those things with my young 
patients. Um, we talk about uh, some of the orthopedic reasons for a stress fracture, such as shoe wear, running surface, training habits, but we always touch on nutrition, uh, their hormonal um, environment, and then their really their energy balance and, and how all of those other factors play into that. Thanks, Chris. Um, I agree with both of you that you've heard that um, osteoporosis is really a pediatric disease with adult manifestations is how people like to think about it. And so it is really important to start young and um, we, I know you read my very outdated bio there, but <laughs> we have, uh, we participate in um, On the Bone in our practice. And while that started as um, an attempt to improve fragility fracture care for our general practice, you know, I am a sports medicine doctor and I do see a lot of runners. And that whole program has morphed into be really more general than just old people. So particularly um, the concepts that we use to treat osteoporosis patients, we think about those when we see our young like runners who have stress fractures. So I'm just thinking of a case the other day that was a 12 year old um, that was a soccer player, liked to run on her own a couple miles every day. That was very light. Um, she was only 12, hadn't started her menses yet. And she had a sacral stress fracture. And so we went through the usual things that you talked about, Tammy, and her training load and nutrition and her family history and those things. But then thinking the same concepts and where do you see that kind of fracture in old people? So typically we look at secondary causes of osteoporosis as opposed to just aging. And we looked in her for um, the typical things. We do screening tests and came up with a celiac disease um, diagnosis for her, which she didn't know about. And um, it's interesting, her mom said, well, geez, no one in our family has celiac. I always thought I was lactose intolerant. Maybe I have it too. So things that you look for that you wouldn't know unless you look for in osteoporosis patients, it goes to all ages, all the way down. We wouldn't look for things like multiple myeloma in a young person, that's not common, but common things that could cause disturbances in the bone metabolism. And so I've learned a lot to, to taking care of patients by trying to, to uh, investigate um, osteoporosis through um, our fragility fracture program. It's a great use of the, of the program. And, and both of y'all mentioned stress fractures as kind of being maybe the, the quote unquote red flag that sends you down that pathway. Maybe Andrea, are there any other sort of risk factors and how do you identify these, these, these patients early on? Is this pretty much every young female that's coming in, we're starting to have this conversation or are there certain things maybe outside of the stress fracture that seems to be sort of the obvious one that may lead you down this conversation with a, with a young patient? Yeah, Alexander, I think there's a lot that we can look at. And, uh, you know, Tammy mentioned the change in terminology from the female athlete triad to red S. Uh, and I think that is indicative of how fluid this whole learning process is about bone health, in, especially in sports medicine. Uh, and we're learning more all the time. So Chris brought up a great example of a secondary cause of um, osteopenia or osteoporosis. But I think just looking back at you know, your question, who, who is at risk? Um, certainly females. And I think that's why the female athlete triad was initially the first term that we heard. And you know, at the time, I think it was initially in 2005, they said female athlete triad was three things, disordered eating, irregular menstrual cycles, and then, you know, decreased estrogen and other hormones that resulted in low bone marrow density. So back in 2005, those would be the things that you would be looking for, eating disorders, menstrual abnormalities, um, and then the sequela, which would be something like a stress fracture. 
And then, you know, I think even just a couple of years later in 2007, they were uh, talking in the American College of Sports Medicine, and they said it was actually a relationship between a number of components, including energy availability, which um, Tammy spoke to. And then again, they focused a lot on menstrual function because that's a manifestation of this energy deficiency. But then now, as of um, 2014, we're referring to this as the red S syndrome, which stands for relative energy deficiency in sports. And so I think this relates back to your question, who's at risk? We've really expanded the list of things that we're looking for. And so red S refers to metabolic rate, menstrual function again, immunity, protein synthesis, cardiovascular health, and really looking at um, all of these factors as a continuum of what's normal bone health to what's pathological. And I think one of the things that is important to remember is that it's not just women. So the, one of the reasons for this change in terminology was we wanted to include men, and it's definitely less common in men, but it is present. Uh, and then I think another thing to pay attention to is BMI. So BMI and a low BMI is correlated with low bone marrow density as well. And so if we think about not only athletes who are in many cases encouraged by their coaches and teammates to maintain low body weight, as well as older individuals who are trying to um, stay stylish and healthy into older age and trying to restrict eating and diet, you know, I think that is a, a good marker for somebody who might be at risk of low bone marrow density is if they have a low body mass index. Perfect. That is a super helpful background. I guess I have two questions for Tammy. One might be somewhat short, but uh, the first is what sports do you think about aside from runners? And I am the proud father of a senior in high school who's going to be a collegiate runner next year. And I can tell you, I worry about this all the time. And when she chose a college, it was in part choosing a coach who seemed reasonable and rational with mileage and diet and all of those things. So I think we all understand the running risk. Are there other sports that are particularly notable? Oh, that's a great question. Certainly runners are, and the long distance and middle distance runners are at highest risk, but any athlete who does running as part of their sport is at risk. So that includes soccer players, lacrosse players, basketball players. Um, they all have that uh, impact loading on a regular basis. I'm going to just sort of bring in a uh, group that was considered always as at risk, and that is um, gymnasts. So that actually formed the basis for my sort of lifelong uh, interest in bone health. I was a gymnast and we had stress fractures on our team. So I investigated the rationale for that. Why, why do those gymnasts have stress fractures? And actually, uh, Chris and I started a study 25 years ago that's still going on looking at uh, how young women accrue bone and how that's influenced by their exercise. So it turns out that gymnasts um, that don't have terrible disordered eating or energy imbalance actually accrue tremendous quantities of bone because of their impact loading. And so those that aren't uh, struggling with disordered eating um, do really well with their bone acquisition. And they actually go into adulthood uh, with a higher peak bone mass because of what they did during childhood and adolescence. So although that's a sport that is looked at as at risk for stress fracture, they build better bone if, if they do it correctly. And I guess that's what we would want to have as our goal for all the young athletes as they go through adolescence to grow enough 
peak mass that they're less likely to fall into that osteoporotic range later in life. I would um, chime in too that, that like endurance sports. So for example, um, bikers and swimmers are at high risk of low bone density. And in fact, the, I, th I believe that the worst bone density are in the swimmers and the bikers, but the higher stress fracture on the runners because of the activity that they do is at a higher risk for a fracture. And that there actually was a recent study that um, recommended maybe ball sports and um, sports that change direction might be protective later on in life of injury because of these sports that go in a straight line and don't, don't wait, don't um, stress, you know, Wolf's law, every direction and the, the um, strength of the bone. I think um, it's interesting to, cause you asked who is at risk. And again, you know, taking care of like old people for osteoporosis, the difference in screening um, adults for osteoporosis and children, it's interesting. So if you wanted to screen um, in the general population, who's at risk of fracture, who's at risk of poor bone health, a lot of times we use a DEXA, DEXA scan. It's a good screening tool for older people. It's a, actually in our practice, it's the, the test we love to hate because it has a lot of um, pitfalls and difficulty interpreting it. And there are, I think, four or five different ways to diagnose osteoporosis. So one is a DEXA scan if your T-score is less than minus 2.5. Another is if you've had a fragility fracture, and that's the same in adults or children. So children who fracture before are at higher risk for another fracture. And if you want to diagnose osteoporosis in the child, um, there's recent guidelines that recommend a kid who has had two or more by the age of 10 fractures might be considered a diagnosis of osteoporosis. You might want to check their bone density score and not just use the DEXA scan, but also that combined with their history of fracture. And actually, that's not that uncommon. We do see kids that come in and they broke one arm this summer and last summer break the next arm. So kids have had two by age 10 and maybe three long bone fractures by age 19 at a higher, higher risk. I think that's a interesting discussion because I think we we tend to group especially young injuries to just mechanism, you know, kids being kids, they they fell off the monkey bars or they, you know, twisted and fell, but maybe not having that history. So let's say for example, you've got a kid who may have broken two bones before age 10, but now he's he or she's 15 and now they're coming to you with an ACL tear. And you get in and you get surprised that maybe your graft isn't sort of fixing or you can't get the right fixation or the graft pulls out early. I wanted to hear kind of y'all's take on the applications of this within sports medicine from an operative standpoint, because we've all been there in the older patient, bone quality is not as good, anchor pulls out, something like that. But does this have implications in maybe your younger patients where, as Chris mentioned, osteoporosis is, is a diagnosis that we should be thinking about? I think absolutely. I'll, I'll um, tell you, I just uh, spoke with my 16-year-old ACL patient's mother today about looking at the diagnosis of osteoporosis. He, he had the softest bone I've seen in a really long time. So I think that I think about it regularly. I think you can see disuse osteoporosis in a specific limb. And in fact, there's been studies done that show regional osteoporosis related to an injury like an ACL tear or rotator cuff tear. So you have to be careful um, that you're not just looking at regional disuse osteoporosis and you're looking at a more global process, but um, you know, kind of adding your question together with uh, Chris's points, if you have a, a child with an ACL tear who also has a history of prior fractures, that might be the individual that you have to do some screening for. And I would add that there are a couple of reasons why this might be a, a more prevalent issue now than it was in the past. You know, first, uh, the increase in sports specialization 
in younger individuals. So as Chris was mentioning, you know, swimmers are, are very fit individuals and often will swim year round, but they're not loading their bone. And so if you can imagine a young swimmer who only swims <laughs> 12 months a year, you know, their bone marrow density will be quite low. And if they do that all throughout their adolescence and into high school and into college, um, they've really missed the opportunity to build the bone density that will carry them uh, throughout the rest of their lifetime with healthy bone. And the other thing I think uh, that we, we've all been acutely aware of is that we are becoming much more of a digital society. And so a lot of kids are spending time on their phones and on their iPads and playing games and on their computers and, and spending much less time outdoors and doing activities which will help build their bone. And so that may be, you know, those two reasons might be a couple of the reasons that we're seeing this in younger and younger individuals. And then of course, as we were discussing, this will now play itself out 20, 30, 40 years from now when these individuals age. Um, it's interesting. I I don't know if I keep chiming in here, but we're talking about stress fractures. I don't know if there was a study out of Israel describing their 25 year experience with stress fracture treatment, trying to understand why their recruits had stress fractures and what you could do about it. And the, the big question was, you know, mo most of the stress fractures were in the basic training you know, the first couple of few weeks. And even though the, um, whatever, whatever that's called the second phase, once you get, once you get in back to training, there were much, much less fractures there just thinking that very recent because the people coming into basic training were unfit and weren't appropriately um, incrementally increased. They just did too much too quick, which is a common thing for stress fractures. And just by, and this is something, their question really was, what, what can we do about this? You know, how can we change this? Because it's well known that military recruits have stress fractures and over 25 years, nothing worked. They, they changed the shoes, they changed the insert, they gave them bisphosphonates, nothing worked except for they just paid attention to pain as someone in the basic training the first couple of weeks had pain. They were evaluated, they gave them two weeks off and let them gradually get back in and they made it through their training with less stress fractures. I think they reduced it by about 30%. That combined with sleep, I'm telling them to sleep more than six hours a night, I think, did it. So um, it's really very basic common sense has a lot to do with our current society. The kids are like weekend warriors because they play at high intensity on the weekend and sit around the whole rest of their life. And that might be a reason why that they have increased. This has been a great discussion. And I think we're going to end uh, our first part right here and look forward to continuing to talk with you all in the second part of this episode.